This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. Well, students lost ground when schools closed during the pandemic. That's now well understood. We have nationwide data. We have data from many states. We have data from many different sources. We know that students lost uh, serious ground in both uh, math and reading. But how quickly are they recovering? That is the information that's being provided by a newly re released study from the state of Ohio. Vlad Kogan, a professor of political science at Ohio State University, has obtained information from the state of Ohio on what's happened year by year since 2020 up until spring 2023. Now, admittedly, Ohio is just one Midwestern state, but ever since the days of William Howard Taft, it's been thought to be a bellwether state. So maybe Ohio will tell us pretty much what's going on more generally. So I'm very pleased to have with me today Vlad Kogan, a professor of political science at Ohio State University on the Education Exchange. Thank you, Vlad, for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be with you. So, Vlad, let me begin with a focus on the eighth grade students, because these are the students who are, you know, they're finishing middle school. We have pretty good information from around the country about uh, students in eighth grade. Uh, how much of a decline in Ohio was there before and after the pandemic? Uh, what was your first uh, uh, take? Because you've done this for several years. So what's your um, what's your results for for the measuring the decline by in 2021? Yeah, that's right. So yeah, this is uh, this is a one in a long series of reports, and so this is the latest data as of spring 2023. But we go back and we kind of benchmark it against previous years, and so the first year of the pandemic was pretty rough, um, you know, in Ohio as the rest of the country, and in eighth grade, you know, I'm going to try to translate this into, into useful me measures, right? We often often talk about standard deviation units, but that's kind of hard to interpret. So um, in English language arts, um, eighth graders in the first year of the pandemic were about half a year behind. Um, and in math, eighth graders were about, about a whole year behind, almost a whole year behind. Um, so that was as of spring 2021, the first really um, full year of the pandemic. But that's pretty much what you see nationwide. Yeah. I mean, if you look at most of the studies that come in, uh, a, a year's loss of learning is pretty much what the story is, maybe, and but it, and it's more in math than in reading. So there's nothing about Ohio that's particularly surprising, right? I that's true. Although I think the the trajectory is a little bit different, and, I can, and, and I'll talk about that in a second because of where we are now as of spring 2023. Well, yeah, no, but yeah. the initial yeah. drop definitely that was yeah. measured in 2021 shows a pretty substantial drop in math, less so in reading. And that's a pattern we see generally around the country. Yes, 100%. Now, I, I will add a caveat. You know, I think one interesting thing we found and we've continued to find is um, the subgroup differences in Ohio by race, by income, were actually much larger in English language arts uh, compared to math. In math, the declines were large and they were actually pretty, pretty similar across subgroups. And I think that's a little bit different than what we've seen in some of the national data, which showed that um, there were subgroup differences and in some cases, um, bigger in math than in ELA. So Ohio was was a little bit different in that way, if, really from the first year of the pandemic. So what would you offer as a potential explanation for, for that? Yeah, I don't don't have a good explanation. Yeah, you know, we're much better at describing uh, what's going on uh, and much less uh, less good at figuring out why things are the way they are. But, yeah, you know, so this it's is- It's hard, you know, to pin yeah. it down, you know, if you see- yeah. that you, 
could it be the specifics of the test? Could it, you know, it could be some idiosyncratic factor. So, but you're definitely That's true. That's true. saw in 2021 serious declines in both math and reading. Exactly. And especially for disadvantaged students, correct? Um, yes. And, and, and that gap was especially large in ELA. In math, the gaps were somewhat smaller and there was just large declines across the board for the most part. Now you have some new data. You have the spring 2023 data. Very few people have anything from as recently as spring 2023. Uh, so this is what makes uh, your latest report particularly interesting. And what you're showing is uh, a rebound, aren't you? At least, uh, at least to some extent. That's right. And, and uh, you're right that, you know, we're very lucky to have this data. And I have to give the credit to the Ohio Department of Education, which really partnered with us to, to do this work and provided really uh, hot off the press, really the, the test scores as they were coming in. Uh, so this is not final. You know, there are some accountability rules that we're not applying here. But that's right. So in English language arts, um, we've seen tremendous gains. And we really saw that over the past two years. Um, and um, in many grades, including eighth grade, in fact, students are actually slightly ahead of where they were right before the pandemic. Um, so in ELA, uh, we have really made tremendous, uh, tremendous recoveries. Um, in math, we've seen some recoveries, um, but nowhere near as much. Now, part of that's because the gaps were initially larger, so there was more room to cover, um, but partly because we're not, not um, recovering as quickly. So as of today, or as of last spring, eighth graders were still about half a year behind in math. So that's, that's a, you know, uh, down from one year, that's still a lot of room to make up. And as you mentioned, these are eighth graders. Uh, they're going to be the, going to high school. And so we don't have much time. And I think, you know, what it concerns me because, of course, a lot of the conversation tends to focus on the younger kids. Um, but, uh, you know, again, the older kids um, have a lot less time left. And in some ways, you know, some of the gains that we've seen have been um, more pronounced in the younger grades. So not only are do, do the older kids have less time to make up, but they seem to be making up that ground slower than the younger kids. So, yeah, let's talk about the younger kids a little bit more. So the eighth graders you're saying are not necessarily exactly the same as what's happening across the board. You're saying the younger kids showed a bigger decline initially, uh, but uh, uh, how's their recovery? Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, the bigger decline or not, it, you know, it's kind of a tricky question because, in some ways, we have to normalize by how much students learn across grades. And then we know as as students get older, the amount of learning is is uh, actually shrinks. So, uh, depending on whether you're thinking about absolute or relative declines, it's actually kind of a, a difficult question. But you're that you're absolutely right that we have seen. Um, you know, in ELA, we've seen actually recovery across the board. You really up through high school. Even in high school, we had uh, students doing doing better. Um, but the magnitude of that recovery, particularly in math, has been um, better in elementary grades. And once you get to middle school and on, we really have seen um, much less recovery um, in those older grades. So I'm going to push on this question of whether there's really been a recovery, because I'm, my, some of my listeners may be wondering about that. And, and for one thing, we know that these are um, high accountability, these are high stakes tests. Schools are held accountable, teachers are held accountable, administrators are. Are you sure they're not teaching to the tests and making sure they're getting the right uh, the right scores coming in so that they don't have a lot to explain to their uh, constituents? Well, so yeah, it's a great question. Um, and so 
part of that, I think, has, is addressed by our methods. So, uh, you know, part of the analysis, I, we estimate what I describe as kind of an estimate of um, learning acceleration, but it's really a value-added model where we're looking at students' test score growth. And the key is we're comparing growth for students who are affected by the pandemic compared to their peers before the pandemic. And of course, we had accountability before the pandemic as well. So to the extent that there's pressure to teach the test, um, you know, I, I don't think that explains the overtime change we see. And if anything, probably some of the accountability provisions have been relaxed because of COVID. Um, so the fact that we're seeing um, uh, learning gains from year to year above and beyond what we saw typical before the pandemic, I think, um, I think it's pretty strong evidence to me. But, and I think this is a really big but, uh, this is all on average statewide. And I think the other big takeaway is there's a lot of heterogeneity, a lot of differences, not just by student subgroup, but across districts. Uh, there's just tremendous variation. Some districts have made a lot more gains than others. Um, and I think there, you know, we definitely have to think about, you know, what's going on and what explains some of that difference. Well, some uh, districts may have closed during the pandemic and some may have stayed open. How much variation was there in Ohio in the degree to which schools shut down? Uh, there was uh, quite a bit of variation. Um, so the urban districts uh, stayed shut uh, for much of the fall. Uh, and really, it wasn't until early spring of 2021 when the governor essentially linked early access to vaccines for teachers to reopening. Uh, and that's when the urban districts reopened. But we had other districts in Ohio that were open really from the beginning of the fall. And you're right, we did see big differences in the initial declines. And in fact, we had weekly data and in some of the analyses in earlier reports, we've actually looked week by week. And you saw, you know, for each additional week that district stayed closed, scores declined more and more. Um, so some of that also is capturing what's going on, I think, today. Again, the districts that stayed virtual longest um, had the most ground to make up, and they, they haven't uh, necessarily recovered more quickly. So those who saw the biggest declines and were closed for the longest period of time, have they recovered as quickly as the other districts, or are they lagging? Um, they have not. They have not. So, uh, you know, I, it depends on, again, the grade and, and the subject uh, matter. Um, so, it, you know, it, it seems like they're recovering about as quickly um, in terms of mode of learning. Uh, so districts that stayed closed longer are recovering about as quickly as those who reopened from the beginning. Um, but they have more ground to make up. Right. So if you start the race a mile behind and you're running at the same speed, you're still going to be a mile behind. Um, but separate from mode of learning, there was also just variation in the initial declines. And some of that was due to mode of learning. Some of it was not. And I think there, you know, the most concerning finding is the districts that really fell behind the most in the first year of the pandemic have not recovered faster. If anything, um, they've actually recovered a little bit slower. Um, so, uh, you know, again, I think we have a lot, particularly, you know, a lot of a lot of. Um, you know, a lot. I think we need to be much more focused in how we talk about this. I think the statewide and national averages are helpful, uh, but obviously uh, we need tailored interventions that really get at the specific student subgroups, the specific grades, and in this case, I think specific school systems. So how about the interaction between the length of time a school has been closed or going to hybrid learning or something like that, uh, the length of time and the composition of the students, that is to say whether or not they're uh, disadvantaged or not. So if you have a if you get a double double whammy here, that is to say, if you're a district with low performing students and you and you're closed for a long period of time, what does the story look for those particular places? Yeah, it, it's a good question, and that's not something that that we looked at in this report. Um, we haven't looked at those interactions, uh, but I think your question gets at another really important point that people have raised in the past, which is: is it really a mode of learning, or is it 
other things correlated with mode of learning. I told you it was urban districts, it was disadvantaged students. And in early reports, we actually um, did, a, I think, a pretty good job disentangling that. Uh, and we did show that at least some of the drop-off was due to the causal effect of virtual learning rather than kind of the demographic compositions of districts that, that were virtual learning more and maybe were impacted more by the pandemic and disruptions. Well, that's certainly um, that's certainly what other studies have shown. There's nothing uh, unusual about that. But now the question arises, maybe we don't need to worry about that. If if there is a quick recovery, um, then, you know, it's all very unfortunate, but it's not like something we have to panic about. Uh, well, I think if, if there was quick recovery um, across the board, uh, you know, I, I think that would be a reasonable argument. I think, uh, you know, the, the fact that, Again, um, it's not as quick as as it probably needs to be for for the older students uh, for math and in particular the you know the student subgroups and districts that fell behind the most. Um, so you know I think if I was confident that uh, student you know that students were on track to to be where they would have been um, by the time they graduate, I think that that would be a defensible argument to make. But I think especially when we're talking about the older students, um, I'm not sure that we're there yet. And you know to the extent that we think the test scores in middle and high school are going to predict later life outcomes and success in higher education, then I think it's definitely something to be concerned about and to focus on. Yeah, no, that all makes sense. And I'm also worried about the chronic absenteeism rate that uh, everybody is reporting these days. That can be as high as 20, 30 percent of the students are, are chronically absent in um, big city school districts. So that the question, reason I'm raising that question is, who are you testing? Are they are they actually in school to be tested, or are some of the most problematic students the ones that you don't even have in your data set? Yeah, it's a fantastic question, and so um, that was definitely something we were concerned about, particularly in spring of 2021, and because uh, test participation rates definitely were lower than they were historically. And you're absolutely right; the most disadvantaged students. Um, uh, were the ones who were not not present, and so uh, we actually, you know, put in a lot of thought how to account that. We actually had uh, pre-pandemic test scores, and we had a lot of administrative data on who the students were. So we could do some fancy statistical modeling and kind of adjust for that, and we did in our in our initial reports. Uh, but fortunately, in the last two years, test participation rates are really back to to where they were, really above ninety five percent, and so we can be confident that that we are really capturing essentially the full universe of students. And especially when we talk about um, you know, learning acceleration, we are really tracking individual students over time. And again, because we have the administrative data, we can do pretty fine-grained subgroup analyses to make sure that, you know, that, that we're capturing some of these differences. Um, so, so it's a great question. I think it's definitely um, uh, policymakers should be thinking about that as they analyze their own data, for sure. Well, what do you see going forward? Do you see... Um, uh... Are you optimistic? Uh, you know, I, I hope so. I think, you know, the the, the things that we've accomplished uh, in ELA, uh, you know, are, are pretty impressive. And, you know, you, you, you mentioned the national data, and I think yeah, Ohio kind of stands out in that, uh, you know, a lot of the national data doesn't show much of a robust recovery in ELA. And in fact, you know, some, some of the uh, private assessments and, and some of the other states are suggesting actually a little bit more of a math recovery than in ELA. So Ohio seems unusual in both the kind of magnitude of the recovery and that fact that we've done so well in ELA. And so if we can take that and if we can replicate that with math, I think, you know, I think it would be great. Um, and in particular, if we can really um, focus on specific, again, specific student subgroups and grades 
and, and school districts, I think that would be also beneficial. But that's a policy question. Yeah, I think it's hard to predict the future, right? So we'll see. So we have a lot of federal dollars that have been going in to address the COVID problem. We have more money in our school system than we've ever had before. It's the first year in my lifetime, I think, that I haven't heard school districts complain. They complain about maybe in the future they won't have money, but they don't complain about they don't have money today. Everybody seems to have enough money to do what they want to do. Has all of this federal money been key to this recovery? Yeah, it's a great question. So we, I try to get at that a little bit by looking at that school district level variation. Uh, I remember I said that the magnitude of the recovery has really varied. And so, you know, we actually matched the our estimates of learning acceleration to the data we got on the initial, uh, on the distribution of the various federal um, stimulus uh, efforts, all the ESSER funds. And it turns out that um, the districts that received the most ESSER money are not the districts that have recovered the quickest. Um, uh, so, you know, it, it's, it, again, I, you know, I, I want to be I want to be careful because all we can really track, I think, clearly is what they got. And as you know, um, they haven't spent all of it. So we don't have very good data on spending. So it could be that maybe the the receipts aren't a good descriptor of, of who actually spent what. Um, but it doesn't seem like the recovery we've seen, the variation is due to differences in the um, federal stimulus that districts got, um, which again suggests that going forward, we need to be thinking, I think, a broader suite of strategies. Right. I think the, the theory of action that we have was. If you drop a bunch of money on school districts, they'll figure out what to do. And it doesn't seem like that theory has, has really been borne out, at least in, in the data so far. Well, I'm a big fan of tutoring. It seems to me if you're going to make up things um, very fast, it really pays to work individually with each and every student. And so if you've got those extra resources, you should be bringing in the personnel necessary to provide each child with the tutorial that is needed for them to catch up. Do you, do you see any of that going on in Ohio? And do you see any indication that that's paying off? Yeah, unfortunately, you know, we don't have very good data on, on what school districts have done. So uh, because, again, it's very hard to collect in, in a standardized format. So all we have is, is anecdotes. And we definitely have districts that have uh, that have invested in tutoring. We have had districts that have invested in, um, you know, summer school. Um, now, I will say, you know, I, my impression is most of those efforts are are kind of opt-in and optional. And again, like summer school, you know, on your own time. And I think what, you know, one of the things we know is the students who need help the most are precisely the students who don't opt in. And so anything that's optional is probably going to miss the students that need help the most. Now, we've had, again, anecdotally, a few districts that have built tutoring into the school day, which is probably the most effective way of reaching students. But whether that's been done at scale um, and how well that's been done, yeah, I, I think it's it's anybody's guess. So we sort of are a little bit uncertain as to what were the mechanisms for the recovery. We sort of see some hopeful signs there, but we can't really nail down. Again, you see a lot of variation, as you pointed out, in Ohio. So, but you don't really at this point, are you going to be exploring now? What, what could possibly be causing all this variation? By I understand the the socioeconomic variation, yeah, yeah, but the geographical one—that's the—that's the one that I'm, I'd be curious if you have any preliminary thoughts on. Uh, yeah, I don't, but that was certainly the motivation for looking at this variation. Uh, and uh, my hope is that again, you know, the the, the folks uh, uh, at the Department of Education at the state really reach out to the districts that seem to be 
doing the best job and figure out like what is their magic formula and then bottle it and hit, get it, give it out to everybody else. And I know certainly the staff at OD are having those conversations and reaching out to districts. So I hope that the, this analysis helps at least identify who to talk to so that we can learn from them what their, um, what, you know, what's, what their effectiveness uh, and success was, was uh, how it came about. Well, is there any sign that the public is reacting to your data, that the media is covering the fact that this district is not making progress when the one down the road is making progress? Is there any sort of public, is there a spotlight being cast upon those districts that aren't uh, showing this kind of improvement? Um, you know, that's a good question. So we, I have not um, put together a public list of districts, partly because this is preliminary data and it, it, you know, it's not the same as the formal accountability data. And having two sets of data out there that kind of show different things is probably going to be too confusing. But certainly uh, later this month, the state will be releasing the official uh, accountability data. And I know certainly in the last couple of years, there has been um, a lot of press coverage. Um, and, and I'm sure there's going to be local newspapers that you know zoom in on individual districts. Um, but again, I think we have to be careful, you know, for all the reasons you mentioned, right? That the, you know, the accountability data is really good, but um, there's been compositional changes and things like that. So drawing causal conclusions based on kind of some of these patterns, I think is, is difficult. And so, um, you know, I, I would be, I would go about it very cautiously. And, and I, my sense is that's, you know, what the folks uh, here, the policymakers here are, are doing very carefully. Well, thank you, Vlad. This has been a really informative conversation. It's great to see that things are looking up in Ohio, at least to some extent. And it's great to see that you're doing such a good job of tracking things and keep and uh, putting information out there that uh, can uh, help facilitate future uh, progress. So thank you for joining me on the Education Exchange. Thanks for having me. I've been speaking with Vlad Kogan, Professor of Political Science at Ohio State University. He has just released a study of student achievement in Ohio entitled Student Achievement and Learning Acceleration on spring 2023 Ohio State Tests. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me for a new podcast released on the Education Next website every Monday at noon Eastern time.